0: Protests against Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's government uh, conducted a brutal uh, campaign against his own people: arrest, uh, uh, detention, and, and torture and, and murder. Civilians are trapped. Has forced hundreds of thousands of them to flee for their lives. The Syrian civil war has been dominating news headlines since its start in 2011, with millions of lives impacted by the conflict and countless countries involved. It has oftentimes been called the worst humanitarian crisis in the 21st century. And rightly so. It has caused mass destruction of homes and infrastructure that is estimated in the hundreds of billions of dollars, and has killed more people than we'll ever truly know. Millions of refugees escape the country in fear of the violence, giving up their lives for a war that was never theirs to make sacrifices for. We aren't doing enough to deal with this, and this isn't the kind of problem you can ignore. It involves the whole world and should be treated with that kind of urgency. And passing its 10-year anniversary this March should finally make the ending of this conflict a priority. But first, let's look into this war's origin. How has this conflict come to be in the first place? Well, looking back at it now, although oppression in the country did pave the way to a rebellion, the roots of this war started in Tunisia in December of 2010 the birthplace of what is called the Arab Spring. The self-immolation of Mohamed Bouazizi, a Tunisian fruit vendor, set off a chain reaction of protests through the country, decrying corruption, and eventually, they succeeded in overthrowing their government. Hundreds of protesters took to the streets, then thousands. And in the face of batons and sometimes bullets, they refused to go home day after day, week after week, until a dictator of more than two decades finally left power. Following this revolutionary event, a surge of new hope ignited many other countries in North Africa and the Middle East to rise up against their governments and fight for freedom. After mass protests, Libya, Egypt, and Yemen reached their goal, overthrowing the regimes in power. In Syria, however, events unfolded differently. In March of 2011, Inspired by these previously unthinkable events, 15 boys in the southwestern city of Daraa spray-painted on a school wall. The people want the fall of the regime. They were arrested, held for days, and tortured. This was outrageous, and was the last drop that set off countless demonstrations, bringing focus to President Bashar al-Assad and the oppressive regime in the country. For generations, the people of Syria lived under the forceful rule of the Assad family, inevitably leading to protests just like back in Tunisia. People hoped that against all odds, history might repeat itself, and that the government might give in. The president saw things differently though, and as the marches gained momentum, the regime released its military firepower. With time, as civilian protesters became helpless in the face of the regime's violent responses, the Free Syrian Army was created going from small committees in villages and urban neighbourhoods into a single connected unit that could stand a chance against the government's brute force. The deepening of Syria's war made both pro- and anti-regime forces dependent on external sponsors, and as major powers deepened their involvement, the conflict escalated into full-blown warfare. This, of course, led to extreme population displacement. Now, entering its 11th year, more than half of Syria's pre-war population of 22 million has been displaced by the violence. More than 6 million are displaced internally dependent on humanitarian aid for daily subsidence, and another 6 million are fleeing abroad, seeking asylum in neighboring countries. Millions of people poured into Turkey, Jordan, and Lebanon, but also many European countries. There, the refugee crisis redefined the political landscape disputes over how to sell refugees across the European Union have posed a severe challenge, threatening to bring an end to the Schengen system of open borders and contributing to the rise of anti-immigrant political parties. In 2015, this became an even bigger problem when over a million refugees journeyed to Europe, contributing to what the United Nations has called the largest migrant and refugee crisis since World War II. During this time, Three to four thousand people would arrive in Greek camps each day, and a lot of moral pressure was put on rich countries in northern Europe, such as Germany, to take in these refugees. And for some time, this worked well. The UN was able to distribute people seeking asylum throughout Europe, helping them move and integrate. But then, on the 13th of November in France that year, something horrible happened. A series of coordinated Islamist terrorist attacks killed 130 people, and injured another 400 in Paris that evening, with the Islamic State claiming responsibility shortly after. Following this horrific event, fear spread like wildfire through many hosting countries, including Germany, where mass anti-immigration protests took place. And although smaller protests countered these movements, defending the refugees and their rights, more and more countries in the European Union started refusing to accept people seeking asylum. And with countless people pouring into Greece, the camp started overcrowding and becoming less of a place of hope and more of a place of waiting. And that's where we stand today, with tens of thousands of refugees living in horrible conditions in camps, waiting for a chance to get their lives back. And with the COVID-19 pandemic added to the equation, the situation is descending into complete chaos. But despite how hopeless it all looks, People are trying to make what difference they can. Marcel Ahmadi is a spokesperson and ambassador for Happy Caravan, an organization working in Greek refugee camps, providing education for children who wouldn't normally get that opportunity. As a refugee herself, she has gone through many of the horrors that people migrating have had to face. Yeah, to become a, a refugee, it will be uh, to face lots of problems. And it's need a strong person a strong heart to face this kind of situation. What I had, what is passing to my heart, only I know. And some people that they came along, only they understand me. One thing I want to include, it's not only my opinion, it's every refugee's opinion that, when they they face a lot of problems, they need a hack, they need somebody that they support, It is so important to realize these things if we want to help. Just the scale of the conflict, how many people's lives are derailed by this war, should be enough to command our attention. We have the moral obligation to help these people in any way that we can. To think that all this horror people have had to face started out with a single man who decided to say no to being oppressed is absurd. One act of defiance and bravery, a few boys with some spray paint, shouldn't shake the world so brutally that the effects are still felt ten years after. Millions of lives shouldn't have had to pay the price for freedom.